Most of you by now know that I work at VIP Mortgage. A lot of you may not know why or how I got there. For us as LOs, we have a lot of options. And for me, VIP Mortgage was the perfect fit and the best place, in my opinion, to work. So if you have any questions about VIP Mortgage as an LO, or if you are a consumer and you're looking for a mortgage, you can reach out to me on social media, or you can reach out to anybody else that you may know at VIP Mortgage. And our website is VIPMTGINC.com. I'm excited to welcome our first nonprofit guest. Um, I'm lucky enough to spend at least one day a month with this guy, and I think everybody in our group would agree with me when I say that what we do maybe pales in comparison to what he does. He works for a company called Excel, and it's a private nonprofit organization, and they focus on children and adults with developmental disabilities like autism. Um, he has his BS from the University of Virginia Wise, and he has his MBA from NYU, and he is happy as spending time with his family, tinkering with watches, which is what we will uh, we'll discuss that a little bit in the interview, and playing golf and hanging out with nature. Welcome, Ray Dom. Hey, Ray. How's it going, buddy? Good, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah, for sure. So we have Ray Dom here from Excel, A-C-C-E-L, um, nonprofit, the nonprofit world. Um, let's get rolling a little bit about yourself That's and good. where you're from and stuff because I I think it's a it's an, it's an interesting story, and uh, it's not the average. Uh, I grew up in Phoenix. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not. Though I did live here for a bit. Um, yeah, I come from a military family. So uh, my my father was a marine fighter pilot. So I got bounced around all over the place. I, I, I literally have lost count on how many schools I've lived really? in, went to and how many states I've lived in. But uh, yeah. so you had the life of uh, meeting new friends every single time. When as soon as you made a good friend, you had to leave and start over. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. This is before social media and email, so <laughs> right. So you didn't catch up until later. Well, that's good. If you didn't, if you didn't do anything, uh, or if you did something wrong, that you're just start gone. over again. Start over every eighteen months. Yeah. No, it was uh, it was fantastic, and um, uh, spent most of my childhood in Beaufort, South Carolina, living uh, living on the water, and then uh, most of my adulthood uh, in uh, in New York. So when were you here? I was here in ninety one and ninety two. Okay. Yeah. So I was in kindergarten. Uh, I lived on eighty seventh Avenue in Virginia which I actually drove by not too long ago, and it has changed quite a bit. Uh, That's like Thomas and McDowell, right? Yeah, just about. Yeah, yeah. so Luke, Luke Air Force Base. Yep, 100%. So your dad, you said earlier, I heard you said your dad went to Annapolis mm -hmm. or went to the Naval Academy. He did. I actually, I broke the family lineage. So my, my grandfather was class in 1945, uh, and, uh, and my father wow. was class in 1980. Yeah. Wow, and they wanted you to go there, obviously. No, no, they the exact didn't. opposite. I, um, I, was, I was being uh, looked at to go there. Uh, I, played, I played football in high school and, and ultimately in college. And, uh, Soccer and too, right? I did, yeah. Not Don't quite leave as, that out. Not that's quite important as, to me. Not quite <laughs> as good at soccer. Um, uh, so, it, yeah, no, the, the opportunity was, was potentially there, but uh, they were great and said, do, do, what, do what you want to do, go where you want to go. So you, uh, so you went to high school in South Carolina? I split high school halfway between South Carolina for 9th mm -hmm. and 10th and then uh, Virginia for 11th and 12th. Okay. Which led you to your illustrious kicking career? Yeah, my, my two and a half years in high school and three years in college. Yes, there you illustrious. go. Illustrious. Okay. <laughs> illustrious. <laughs> he almost went semi-pro for the Rattlers. I'm just kidding. Not really. yeah. Where did you, um, so what college did you, did you end up at? Yeah, I went to a school called the University of Virginia's College at Wise. So UVA Wise, um, University of Virginia is obviously you know very well known, 
uh, UVA wise is sort of their lesser talked about sister school. Um, okay. Great, great place in the mountains of Appalachia. Um, yeah, it was a wonderful experience. So Appalachia. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that, that's also a misunderstood place. hundred percent. Yeah. There's actually a, an HBO story about how misunderstood it is right now. Oh, you're kidding. I no, it is. Um, so from there, you, after you graduated, did you go straight into, to get your master's or did you go to work first? No. Yeah, no, I, um, I was pretty boring. Uh, I scheduled for my last, uh, spring break in college. I scheduled a bunch of interviews in Miami. I wanted to move to Miami, Florida. And uh, literally three days after graduating, I was pulling to South Beach, uh, getting ready to start a job in, uh, in magazines, believe it or not. Okay. Yep. So the advertising? Uh, no, we did production of, oh, okay. of some of the luxury small run magazines there. Okay. So then that, what led you to your next step then to NYU? So I, uh, I, was, I was dating a girl at the time uh, who was moving around quite a bit, and uh, she had gotten um, moved to, uh, to New York, and I wanted to follow. Okay. Um, so, uh, so yeah, after about a year and a half, I started to make moves and got transferred up to New York, which I probably never would have moved to if it was left to my own accord. So right. I'm grateful for that. Yeah. So while you were working, you just thought your next step was like, you just felt like, I just want to get a master's. Did you always know you were going to get a master's degree? Well, like, well, even what kind yeah. of student were you? Were you a good student? Oh, I was a terrible student. Um, okay. Yeah, my, my mom actually brought this up. <laughs> I, I'm 34 years old and... Two years ago, I think it was, yeah, you too. (laughs) You look like it, I don't. Um, Actually, it was, yeah, I think it was two years ago, my mom just literally told me, you never applied yourself and it always disappointed us. Not like in like a mean (laughs) way, but just like as a matter of fact. Um, No, I, you know, I I worked, I always worked really hard in school, um, but I never really applied myself. I I finished college in three years, uh, which I was grateful for not graduating during a a recession, which was really nice. 2007 was much easier than 2008. Um, and then whenever I got to New York, uh, I was very fortunate to put in a couple different positions to continue growing professionally really quickly. And uh, it was at the executive team of my large nonprofit, sat around a table, and I was obviously the youngest, not obviously, I was the youngest guy, but I was the only person who did not have a, an advanced degree. Mm-hmm. So that was whenever it, it, it tripped that said, hey, if I want to keep doing this, I need to, I need to better myself. Okay. So did that lead you to your, your current, your current job now, the current company? I mean, no, no, okay. it didn't. Uh, I, again, I'm not, I'm not the, the fastest of learners. Uh, so I kind of marinate on that a little bit. And then, uh, the job that I worked at in New York was, was really interesting. I worked with guys coming out of prison systems and homeless shelters. Oh, wow. And there was uh, one guy in particular who, uh, wonderful guy who was actually not Actually, I think he was exactly 46 years old, but he looked even younger than you did. <laughs> and uh, I just hired him uh, to be a dispatcher in our office. We, we had about 100, 120 vehicles in our fleet, and he, uh, he was going to school after work, after mm-hmm. going to work from 5 a.m. to you know, 2 p.m. or something like that. And he always said, uh, you know, Ray, you talked about going to school. Yeah. I'm doing it. Why can't you do it? <laughs> I mean, I think one of the reasons why we wanted you as a guest on here sure. is because the focus is wasn't just real estate. Obviously, we're a mortgage company, a VIP mortgage, yeah. and and everybody's there's a lot of podcasts, a lot of people talking within this industry. And you, have, it's always realtors, it's always title, it's sure. it's always LOs, and even muscular moving men, stuff like that, movers, not regular moving men. real estate. <laughs> yeah, not regular moving men, but um, that's a company. By, any, by the way, I wasn't talking about just muscular. Dudes. <laughs> It's called Muslim Movement um, and real estate attorneys and anything, anything real estate related. Sure. But we kind of wanted to branch off a little bit different, just people doing big things in the community. Yeah. And just like where I had a friend, this is a kind of a backstory on us, is I had a friend that um, was at, he was doing the nonprofit side at a big hospital system. And, <clears throat> and uh, he was looking to do something different. 
and I reached out to you. I didn't even really know what it is you did. I just knew you were in that space. And I called, and you were in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> yeah. Right? And I'm like, what the hell are you doing in Saudi Arabia? Yeah, you Arabia? called me really early. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, hey, I know you're in the space. I don't know what you guys are looking to do, but he wants to stay in this business. And that led me to, you know, go, holy crap. I didn't realize that, that I knew you worked for a big company, mm-hmm. um, but I didn't really know what it is exactly you guys sure. did. So sure. um, let's talk a little about Excel and like what you guys do. Yeah. So Excel is, is really, really cool uh, and interesting organization. So we're actually celebrating our 40th year of operation, mm-hmm. which is hard for any company to say anywhere, let, let alone a not-for-profit, right? B- being around for 40 years and growing with the community and changing with the community and staying relevant in the community is almost unheard of. So I, I learned about Excel um, about about uh, about six or seven years ago through my wife, who was born and raised Phoenician. Her, her family moved here in the late 1800s, right? So okay. she'd been connected to it for, for quite some time. And, uh, and I never really knew much about the space. And what, what we do at Excel is we work with children and adults who have special needs. That's, that's the easiest way to say it. And, and more, more, uh, in more detail, we work with children as young as 18 months through early intervention programs who are recently diagnosed with autism or behavioral disorders. We run private schools that are located all around the valley, uh, nonprofit private schools that work with children who need more attention than regular school districts can provide. And then we also work with adults who are aging out of or graduating from the school system. Um, so, you know, on the onset, it's obviously great work, right? It's necessary yeah. work. It's need, it needs to be done. But whenever you go a little bit deeper, it's really interesting to see sort of the space that they occupy, right? Again, being around for 40 years, they were established. Mm-hmm. But also the world is in this area is changing so drastically, so quickly. Um, you know, autism prevalence rates have gone up and through the roof. So... It's touching everyone's lives. So it's just so neat to be a part of an organization that has this great base and platform, but is constantly challenged to continue to evolve. And I think that's really rare. You're saying it's, it's increasing the autism world, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I have a nephew that is autistic. And I always kind of wonder, I mean, do you hear people talk about the reasons why that's happening? Is it really that, I mean, like how much of an increase are we talking here? Like, and how, wh- like, what do people think that that equates to like where it's coming from? Yeah, that's a, it's a, it's a great question. And, and, and quite honestly, it's not one that I'm necessarily prepared to answer perfectly. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so there's, there's, there's a couple different um, spheres where people can operate in this space. And there are many groups who are doing the actual research around what's causing it, what's, what's making it more prevalent, that sort of thing. Um, so, so more topically. And so what we do is we actually work with the individuals who are being diagnosed and, and okay. try to help them through we, um, through their journey and, and sort of reach their their uh, their highest potential that they possibly can. Um, so as as I understand it, they, they you know there's a thought that it's a combination of both environmental factors, genetic factors, um, and the prevalence uh, has gone. I think the most recent one, or one in sixty one children are diagnosed That's with autism. So and I believe it's even prevalence rate is even higher for for Arizona, and we've seen prevalence rates that are even higher in rural areas. So there's all these little variables that come into play. Wow, That's crazy. <laughs> it is. So, um, moving into this, the Saudi Arabia situation, so get a little, you know, touch on that a little bit, because that's, I mean, that's super interesting, and, and what I know a little bit about this, so like, yeah. the, I mean, the answer is really cool. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate you asking. Um, when I talk about sort of continuing to evolve in the community, it's been so neat to see our community also evolve, right? So, we, we uh, were approached back in 2018 uh, by Saudi Aramco, which is the largest company in the world. I think they flip-flop market cap with Apple every once in a while. It's a uh, petroleum. It's, or yeah, it's oil and gas. Oil, oil, yeah, gas. oil and gas. And uh, I think their market cap's around two trillion, something like that. Um, so we actually got a phone call from one of their one of their representatives, and uh, 
we thought it was a joke. They wanted really? to come check out our program and we weren't sure if it was real. Um, sure enough, a couple weeks later, we had a, a delegation group arrive that had been, unbeknownst to us at the time, traveling the world for almost two years, visiting programs and creating a list of potential operators that could ultimately open up the first center in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia's history. Uh, that initial list was, I think, about 42 groups from around the world, North America, Europe, Asia, and then the Middle East. And then uh, you know, went through the whole process and then were invited uh, late November 2019, 2018, excuse me, uh, to propose out of one of five in the world. And then in February of 2019, uh, we were informed that we were successful. So awesome. it was just, it was, it was such an incredible process to go from thinking it's a joke right. to then saying, holy crap, now we have to put together school that's 8,012 miles away. You know, we right. had never expanded outside the state of Arizona intentionally because we wanted to continue working on our programming. But this is one of those opportunities to help quite literally thousands of students who had never received these services right. in their entire life. Well, talk about like evolution right or just evolving i think there's yeah. a huge misconception sure. maybe or maybe that it's just true that this sort of stuff wasn't happening obviously in the middle east in general right but they're the i think they're evolving dramatically on, on ways on schools of thoughts of doing things a little bit differently maybe they had in the past and and this is one obviously that they're doing that's a big deal yeah so from a logistics standpoint, how do you guys even handle this? You have to move there? Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, I mean, this um, is dramatic. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's extraordinarily dramatic. And um, you know, really, again, it's, you know, people have at times negative connotations around what it means to be in a nonprofit, work in a nonprofit. They think bloat, they think inefficient, they think all these different things. And that couldn't be further from the truth. And this is one of those circumstances where our staff just absolutely blew everyone's expectation out of the water. Um, we were, we were February 6th. I'll never forget waking up to the email it was sent at three o'clock in the morning. I was up 30 minutes after that right, right. Uh, saying that we had been successful. And uh, I think I flew out three or four days later, uh, which, which was obviously uh, unexpected, but, but interesting and exciting. And we still, to this day, I'm so proud to say this. We hold the record in Saudi Arabia of any company in its history going from licensure to operation. Well, wow. right. Four months, four months. So within four months time, uh, we had been sending staff over. I'd been going over myself quite a few times. Um, and we set up a staff of, I think it was starting staff of about 75 people, um, in a matter of four yeah, months. But these are all people that have never been there, never done anything like this before, no, that's a good right? question. No, it's a good question. Um, we had about half a dozen uh, of our U S staff transition. Okay. And the cool thing, this is a neat thing is we're quite literally, uh, and I say this humbly, I don't, I hope this doesn't sound arrogant. We're helping to establish a market that does not exist. Right. So what's neat is the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia knew that education was going to be really important. And for years and years, they've been spending quite a bit of money to have students get educated in some of the best schools around the world. So you had all these professionals who had received incredible education, sometimes really good practical experience. But then when they come back, they weren't doing anything. So there was a really good group of staff members and employee base that we were able to tap into. So about 80, I think about 80% of our staff are, are, are local Saudi Arabians. So a lot of the even high-profile business people in Saudi Arabia are their educations from the United States or, or somewhere around the world besides Saudi Arabia. Yeah, the U.S. The and the U.K. are U.S. Are and U.K. Right. So they're they're familiar with what what needs to happen. It's just a matter of like them coming back and then not implementing everything that, you know. Yeah, you know, uh, 
yeah, it's a, it's a question of that. And, and obviously, just like anywhere in the world, uh, politically, you know, people have to be ready for something. Yeah. Uh, and, and what I can say with 100% confidence um, is the social change that has happened, even in just the two years that we've been a part of it. Sometimes that's really neat to say that we've seen or maybe potentially made, played a small part in, in changing uh, has been phenomenal. And, and, and I realize there's there are fallacies with everything. Right. Uh, but For sure. Yeah. So getting into the, the, the misconception part, you're saying like even just with the nonprofits. Mm-hmm. So you 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 walk into the room like, is there like an instant judgment on you? The slick well, guy coming in, you know what I'm saying? Is, I mean, have you dealt with any of this in the nonprofit world? Um, you know, from a personal <laughs> standpoint, um, it's a good question. Um, and it's I'll, a real I'll, question. You know, it's it's a real it's a real question. Yeah. No, um, and I'll answer it honestly. I think a lot of times it's just, it's a foreign thing for people, right? The nonprofit yeah. sector seems foreign. I think it's actually the second largest employer after the federal government, which yeah. is it's a pretty neat statistic. But um, typically how I see that manifest itself is if someone asks me what I do and I say I work in the nonprofit sector, I don't always say I, I, I'm the CEO of a company with 450 staff members, right? Right. I say I work in the nonprofit sector. A lot of times the conversation stops. And that's yeah. and that's fine because it's, it's foreign. Yeah. And, it's, and, it's, and a lot of people don't know that second follow-up question. And, and I'm not equating nonprofit with this, but I have a really good friend who's, a, uh, who's an astrophysicist, who's a PhD, who worked on the Large Hadron Collider in Switzerland. And once he says that... Smart. Yeah, super smart. <laughs> and it, you know, when he walks through the door, he's like, I'm not going to ask you anything. <laughs> right, right. Sorry, right. just not going to go anywhere. Right. Um, so that, that, I think that's how it manifests itself. And it, it's, never, it's never intentional. It's never malicious. It's just different. Yeah. So um, going back to where your mom said that you weren't applying yourself and... <laughs> Um, and you know, even though you went through college in three years and then yeah. you ended up at NYU, you were yeah. still kind of, yeah, I'm sure you accidentally kind of got into the nonprofit world at one point you've, and you ended up really liking it or, or, yeah. or did you mean like, Hey, I, when I grew up, this is what I want to do. Yeah, no, you just gave me goosebumps. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, so it actually, it was intentional. Um, okay. you know, I was, uh, I was kind of an idiot, uh, in 2008, I was 22 years old and I, I quit my job in New York as a 22 year old right in the height of the recession right. taking form. <laughs> yeah. uh, and and I, was, I was responsible enough to have five or six months where I didn't have to rush uh, to get a job. And I really started to think about what I wanted to do. And, um, you know, growing up on military bases my whole life, you're, you're, you're kind of sheltered from things, right? Extreme poverty is not really a thing. Um, and, and South Beach started seeing that. And then when I moved to New York, obviously, it's right in your face. And it was one of those things that really started sort of tugging, uh, tugging on my heartstrings. And I was fortunate to find a company called the Doe Fund uh, that worked with gentlemen coming out of homeless shelters and prison systems where I could make a difference working with those guys but applying the business, uh, business acumen skills that I at least thought I had at the time. Right. So not necessarily the counseling and the social work, uh, but the more business side of things. So that's what initially got me into the space. And then after finishing NYU, I had these big grand thoughts of going in and being this big shot and making tons of money and, you know, all that sort of stuff uh, to pay my real expensive <laughs> school bills that right. I'm, still, I'm still working through. Yeah. Uh, but, um, you know, I took a job um, with a, uh, a private equity-owned marketing company right after business school in a, in a turnaround effort and loved it. Great work, you know, good people. But I'll never forget sitting in a meeting where I had that, it was two months or three months into it, where I just had that gut reaction said I need to get back in the mission driven environment um, so I made the conscious decision and that's actually what brought me to excel is wow. I, I, I became more familiar with the organization itself and 
and uh, don't laugh, it's, it's not too dissimilar from guys coming out of prison systems in the sense that it's an underserved population. A lot of the, the kids and the adults that we serve don't have a voice or their voice isn't listened to. Yeah. And they have to fight for everything that they get um, nonstop all the time. And that's an exhausting existence. And it really mirrors that of gentlemen who, who found themselves in the prison system, sometimes more than once. Right. And uh, just we're trying to make a life. I mean, that's a young person's. I mean, that's you were young to make that like life decision, knowing what you wanted to be when you grow up, basically. I mean, to be honest with you, maybe wait, were you 24 yeah. at that um, point? 25, maybe? When did I graduate? I mean, you're only uh, 28 or 29. Okay. Yeah, oh, 28, 29. Yeah. That's still like, you know, I, I think people are still trying to figure out what they want to be when they grow up, you know, yeah. even at my young age. Um, so moving on. So you went to New York. You met your now wife. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Much better half. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> you didn't have to answer so quickly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you guys are both. Yeah. Um, Thanks. so then that brought you back to Arizona Yeah. and from here. So you weren't this, you're the CEO now, Yep. but you weren't, did you come here to be the CEO? Or? No, I, okay. well, you know, it was, it was part of the potential con conversation. Okay. Um, uh, the CEO had been there for 25 years and she was, she was a absolutely phenomenal. She is a phenomenal woman who has built the organization to, to, to what it was when I took over. Uh, but I started off as a chief financial officer uh, and worked in development as well. And then about two years into that was when the board decided that it was time to make it. She decided it was going to make a transition mm -hmm. and the board was supportive of my taking over. When having conversations with my real estate partners, one of the things I always ask them is how organized are you? Do you have a CRM system? Or do you have a drip campaign? Um, are you staying in contact with your referral partners, your clients, etc.? And a lot of agents do not, or they've gone through multiple CRM systems. I found a really good CRM system that I recommend. It's called escrow, the letter S grow. And immediately you're going to see an impact in your business just because of the automatic um, campaigns that are already pre-written for you. It's a great system, just a great system, easy to use. Cause I think that's one of the problems that people have. Things are already set up. Templates are already created. All you have to do is put your contacts in and let it ride. So if you don't have a system, you're looking for a system, visit escrowcrm.com for more information. So what do you attribute your success then or your drive at this point? Because, I mean, that's a big deal to be a CEO of that big of a company at your age. Yeah. Um, you're still young. I mean, and uh, like you said, I mean, obviously you became a driven person when you went to, you decided you're going to go to NYU and this is what I'm going to do. Um, but now you're successful. So what do you attribute like your everyday like decisions to get out of bed and like do what you should do? Yeah, no, I, I, I appreciate the question. It's, it's, it's not an easy one. Um, you know, I think whenever you get into positions where a lot is asked of you, whether it's a lot of work or a lot of, uh, resiliency or, or anything that's up. And it doesn't have to be a CEO role for that to happen. Right. You have to grab onto something much larger than yourself. Right. So, so even I'll give you a great example, our teachers and our classroom staff right now, you know, we're both in person and distance, right? So these, these individuals are doing double duty. Mm -hmm. They're not doing it because they could pay the most amount of money in the world. They're doing it because they love the students. They like to see the progression of what these students accomplish. In that same sense, <clears throat> I think what has been very fortunate for me is to understand, you know, first and foremost, I work in a supportive role, right? But, but working in conjunction with a greater vision of accomplishing big social change is a thing that I think gives um, 
gives me the opportunity to reach down a little bit deeper and say, yeah, sure, I'll fly to Saudi Arabia tomorrow. Sweetheart, I don't know if it's going to be two weeks, two months, or two years. Right. And her giving her the ability to say, I got it. Don't worry. You got this. We'll do this together. You know, So attaching yourself to um, something much bigger uh, and greater, yeah. I think, is, is really important. Well, most people don't get to do that. I mean, that's the honest truth. I mean, somebody, even, even physicians, so to speak, or surgeons, you know, mm -hmm. it's like they, or if somebody who became an attorney, you know, mm -hmm. is their intent always like to be because they want to serve, you know, helping people? Sometimes it's financial, right? And someone, I think also the thought process of in your world, right? You know, it's like, oh, he's nonprofit. I mean, you have a job. Like, I do have, have a job yes, that gets paid, job. right? Yes, yeah. You make money. Yeah. But, in the mean, you know, you also get to, or I should say, you also get to make money, right? But you get to serve and do something good and feel good every day, just like somebody, a surgeon yeah. that goes into, you know, save somebody's life every sure, day, or sure, somebody sure. that gets to get somebody off and that shouldn't go to prison or something like that when they yeah. become attorney. You know, I'm in the the mortgage world, so it's a little different. But I think for us, it's like we do get the opportunity. People, it's like, oh. I hate the perception sometimes that that our career is you know we're just we just we're just volume driven right. But you do get the opportunity to help people that are in situations like when people get their first homes. And, you know what I'm saying? Um, and you know somebody that's maybe been in a situation and has been trying so hard to finally get to the point where they get to you know after they've had a bankruptcy or a foreclosure. And you can make it possible. And we can make it possible. So there is. I mean. Uh, we had this like motto here for a long time. It was we were trying to change the perception of like yeah. the mortgage business, and 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 I think it's it's getting better and better and better. But obviously, rates being so low right now, not but but because I mean we're helping a lot of people do good things, and uh, so well, from <clears throat> you know I understand what you're saying it's on a totally different level, but you know I, I see I disagree with you. I, okay. I don't think it's different, and that that's one of the misperceptions as well on the other side of things is you don't have to work in a not-for-profit organization to have that fulfilled, impactful life. Right. Right. So, so the group that you and I are both part of is full or full of 70 other guys who don't necessarily work in yeah. a nonprofit setting, but are impacting their community every single day. For right? sure. So making, making that positive change happen, whether it's, whether it's all the things that you mentioned, there's no better or for worse. And quite frankly, I'm grateful for, for industries like this that do give back so much, right? Because realistically speaking, the work that gets accomplished through nonprofits cannot get accomplished right. through generous generous people and also generous companies. Yeah. So, so you know, making an impact in your space doesn't necessarily mean going yeah. every day to a nonprofit. Sometimes it, it, sometimes it provides an avenue, right, to, to you know, generate the revenue so you can give back in those other spaces that you want to do. Like, for example, we did the Fresh Start Women's Foundation. We do every year, which mm -hmm. is an incredible organization mm -hmm. in town. Thank you for doing that. Um, also, like you said, we're both in Executive Council 70, where we do tons of, I mean, we raise millions of dollars for children's charities. Besides EC um, and Excel, like, is there any other community things you're doing or that you do or that you are involved in, you're on the board of or something? Yeah, no, I, again, I appreciate the question. It's been a little challenging uh, yeah. the last couple of years. Just I, I was in the Middle East 12 times last year. And <laughs> just even this year with the COVID closures, I've been there for about three months uh, in 2020. Um, the other thing that I do uh, that I'm just really grateful for the opportunity for is I, I sit on the board of directors for a group called NAPSEC. It's a national association for private special, uh, press, private special education centers. And it's the only membership organization in the country that represents all special education programs. I think we have about 250 members. So that's based in Washington, D.C. 
and uh, it's just so wonderful being a part of an organization that represents you know 50 states groups all across the country and be able to be not necessarily part of the conversation about what's going on in washington dc but at least privy to the conversation so <clears throat> after that uh Really and truly, that's that's all. I mean, you're done. I mean, we, we how many do we have? Like 138 organizations that we're a part of together. So yeah, I mean, so, yeah, something like 137. Uh, or yeah, so I mean, there's a lot, a lot of things, and I think the more and more you do it, mm -hmm. the more fun it gets, and mm -hmm. and the more you want to give back, and the mm -hmm. more you want to find a way to raise money for organizations, and um, so in your do you have a mentor or in your particular space or somebody that like you oh, yeah. admire? Yeah. Um, dude, that's one of the things I'm just, I'm so grateful for. I, I've been surrounded by incredible human beings my entire life. Uh, obviously my, my, my parents are, are great. My mama, who we've mentioned before, uh, <laughs> all four foot nine and a half of her standing me up and pointing at me and telling me I don't apply myself. And, yeah, <clears throat> my, my, my father was uh, a 30 year career Marine, right? Yeah. Fighter pilot was one of the first groups deployed after September 11th. Um, you know, just real, real true American hero. Um, both my grand, my, my grandfather was, was, um, was stationed in Vietnam before the war as a naval attache there. And then my, my mom's dad dropped out of school in eighth grade when his father died and picked cotton to support his family, yeah. you know, put food on the table, um, worked and bought his own house and put his kids through school and, you know, Damn, just, you got some good lineage. I'm really, <laughs> I'm really lucky. Yeah, I don't want to tell you about my Ours brothers and sisters. Too. <laughs> my, I'm, the under, I'm the underachiever in the family. <laughs> so tell me about your brothers and sisters. Uh, so my, my, my oldest sister is actually the CEO of NAPSEC, uh, the group okay. I mentioned earlier. She, she came on about two years ago, um, about a year after I started. I had nothing to do with it, recused right. myself from the process. She's yeah. just that amazing. She was doing uh, economic fundraising in Africa um, for groups in, in East and West Africa. Uh, my, my younger sister, who's 11 months younger than I am, um, is a, was a nurse. She's a cardiac ICU nurse and has kind of done a couple of different things in my my little brother is finishing up his PhD. He's an archaeologist, so he's he spends four or five months a year in Israel um, studying pots and playing in the sand, as well, I call it. Yeah. Trisha, we're still good. my sister's right here <laughs> yeah. for everybody, and my nephew, and we're good too. We've got great. Yes, you are. We have a great family. Um, uh, so, so, so let, mentors, me, let, me, yeah. let me just do a fun fact yeah, though, please. and the whole. And you can tell me if I'm wrong or not. You may not know this, but my uh, brother-in-law. Um, he went to Annapolis to the Naval, he went to mm -hmm. Naval Academy to be a fighter pilot. Mm -hmm. And what I didn't know is that like they pick if you're going to be a pilot, like our jet like pilot, yeah. or you're going to be a helicopter pilot. So you're in the Naval Academy and then you become like a Marine fighter pilot or mm -hmm. you become a helicopter pilot for the Navy. Mm -hmm. But they decide based upon, you know, there'd be five people basically in the graduating class and says, you five are chosen and you go here, you go here, you go here, you go yep. here, you're there. Yep. So a kid's dream to be a fighter pilot doesn't necessarily always come to fruition if even if you are picked to go to flight school. That is 100% true. So you can choose whether you go Marine option or stay the Navy route. Um, and actually, a really good friend of ours um, who has a cabin near us in Flagstaff, his son graduated Naval Academy, I think, three years ago. Wanted to be a fighter pilot, but that year they didn't have any. I think they had you know, yeah. sing, small single digits of fighter pilots, and he ended up being a helicopter pilot. But, I mean, those those... Those guys. And that's guys, so cool, too, by yeah. the way. Oh, so cool. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was going to say. Their, their, sense of, their sense of duty is so far beyond what most yeah. people can comprehend. That they, you know, they might say, oh, that stinks. But as soon as they get there, yeah. they're, I mean, they're boots on the ground. They're ready to go. And these are the smartest of the smart smartest people. Smartest people in the world. <laughs> I mean, they're the valedictorians at the high school. They're, yeah. they're the most driven. 
I mean, and they choose to go there, right? They probably, they could go, they could have gone to Harvard. They could have gone to yep. Yale and other places. Yep. They chose to go yep. to you know, West Point or the Naval Academy yep. and, and serve their country. So, I mean, obviously special kudos people. to all those people yeah, for people. sure. I, I keep going back to like your, okay. when your mom thought you were a loser. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Those, I think those, are, those are your words. Those are no, your I'm, words. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you didn't, you didn't. My parents would have said the same thing. Um, so... Obviously, you've made a lot of good decisions, but if you went back to your 18-year-old self and you're like, okay, I'm just graduating high school now, or maybe you were 17, um, <laughs> and you're off to go kick, if you could told yourself like then what you know now, um, would you have taken the same path or would you have chosen something different? I don't mean your career, but just the route you took. Yeah, no, it's a good question. Um, I, I, I've been fortunate enough where I haven't necessarily always made the decisions. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of times I've been put onto a path and just sort of held on for the ride. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and, and I guess that makes me a little, little bit lazy. <laughs> no, but, it's um, lucky, actually. <laughs> it, it, no, you know, I, I, feel, I feel super fortunate. Um, and there's obviously been decision points. But I, I wouldn't do anything different. Um, I really wouldn't do anything different. You've, uh, you've done, obviously, a, you've done a lot. You have a lot to go. You're still young in your life. And, and I think... The question is like, is there something on your bucket list? But let's just define the bucket list real quick because this is, <laughs> this actually came, I went on a trip to, with some, actually Jay here and some other buddies. We went to, we flew to Chicago mm -hmm. to go to watch Monday Night Football. Mm -hmm. and it was just the Packers, Chiefs. And we went to the Notre Dame UMass game, which wasn't a big, wasn't a big, UMass wasn't good, yeah. but it was still, we wanted to, we wanted to go to Notre Dame. So we flew into Chicago. Mm -hmm. Took a car up to up to uh, South Bend, then went and played golf Whistling Straits oh, the next no day, wow. and then we watched Monday Night Football at it was at Green Bay. Anyway, so I like post this like this of the whole thing, ah, oh, bucket list, and like some older people were like, older people meaning like some oh, of my, were they like, some of my dad's you? friends. They're like, uh, that's not a bucket list. Like a bucket list is meaning that you're dying and you're doing something right before you you die. And I'm like. That's, I don't, who said that? Like, that's <laughs> not, so I know you're not dying. He's healthy, everybody. But there's things that you want to do in your life. You're very young, <laughs> right? And you're doing a lot of big things. And obviously traveling to Saudi Arabia as much as you, and you have yeah, plenty of yeah. miles now to, on, oh, on no what idea. airline, yeah, any no. airline, you're going to be in the pods in the U.S. with the Virgin Airlines. Or, yeah, okay, yeah. right? So you can do anything <laughs> you want to do. But, um, I mean, there's multiple things you probably want to do in your life, but what are, what are a few things or one thing or what's something? Yeah, you know, they're, they're all travel-related. Um, okay. You know, one of the things I never got to do in college was study abroad. So yeah. my, my oldest sister studied in Seville. My youngest sister studied in Glasgow. Seville my, or Sevilla? Well, I'm saying oh. Seville. Because <laughs> <laughs> this sister, she went to Granada. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So she went to the University of Sevilla, uh, <laughs> and then my little brother went to school in London. Um, oh, so cool. because I played played football in college, I never got a chance to do that. Yeah. My, my wife studied for a year in Tuscany, in Italy. Oh wow! Um, so it's it was always not something that was a part of my my uh, my college my college journey. Dude, shout out to your parents for God's sakes, man! They have just oh, done we a so good lucky. job with yeah, you guys. No, we're, we're lucky. They um, have God the opportunities your kids have, or your your brothers and sisters have had, and you. Yeah. That's it's amazing. We're, we're lucky. Um, so, so I think everything revolves around travel. Um, so and my, my wife, uh, is one of the most interesting people 
ever. And she's uh, she's a level three advanced sommelier, so she's a wine wow. expert, and she's a two hundred hour uh, yoga instructor. And she's she was supposed to do a three hundred hour last or this year, but Bali shut yeah. down. So she's just started traveling again. I just started traveling again. To your point, we've got more miles than we know what to do with. So I think a couple things on our list is we want to, uh, locally, we want to go up to, um, um, oh gosh. Seville? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, Montana, um, uh, Whitefish. We want to go to okay. Whitefish. That's not, is that Montana? Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Uh, we want to go to Whitefish and do the whole thing, come up, come back through Yosemite. Stuart just done. did that, by the way. This oh, really? Took an RV. Yep. This that, during spring break. That's what we want to do. Did it. Uh, and then, and then internationally, we want to go spend time in Bali together. We haven't done that. Um, Seychelles is another area that means that means that we. Where's that? Uh, it's off the coast of um, of uh, Kenya, I believe. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's it's off the coast of East Africa. It's a very quick flight from the Middle East, which is mm-hmm. easy for us. Um, that's awesome. Uh, but I think one thing we really want to do is we want to do base camp at Everest. Not like the whole right. way, but just like base camp. Base camp. Yeah, just base camp. Just like so hot just chocolate. Keep, you want to camp. Yeah. Yeah. The, a little higher than that. <laughs> right a little higher than that. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that sounds like a lot of work, to that whole process. Um, but no, to. that's super cool, though. Um, yeah. So I was going to say, so you're about experiences, not material stuff. Yeah. But I do know that you're. that's not completely true because you're watch aficionado. Maybe not a collector. You have nice watches, but... You do like that's, that's I like, your I thing. like the butt. I like the butt in there. Yeah, I mean you're not you know uh, spending yeah. all your money on not watching. But I like there. the experience of the watch. So right. the inner workings, the mechanics, right. the stories behind it. Yeah. That's what I like about the watch. Not necessarily that it's a fancy piece to show. Yeah. Off. So this one, for example, um, this is a 1970 Omega Speedmaster. So my grandfather bought this uh, in 1970. Uh, I missed the moon watch by two years, and he gave it to my father when he graduated from the Naval Academy in 1980. 1980. Wow, that's cool. So, so I, I so would the story's awesome that. there. Yeah, and it's actually cool. So he actually gave it to me because he kept banging it uh, on the cockpit of his airplane, mm-hmm. and it has an acrylic face, so it actually scratches. So I, I haven't wow. fixed the, I haven't fixed the scratches. Dude, that's so you, you should it. never. That's cool. So if you could have any watch, what, what would it be? Uh, an A Langa and Son Grand Langa. Yeah, so Langa and Son is a is a German watchmaker. Um, so it's one of the few, just unreachable watches or whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it that's made outside of Switzerland. Um, and it's absolutely beautiful. It's this, this, um, um, oh boy, I can't think of the word where something is not, uh, the time is here and everything else is here. What's it called? Uh, symmetric. It's asymmetric. That's the word we're looking gotcha, for. Gotcha. So it's a really neat face. Check it out. Not a lot of people have it. So if, so for the average guy that wanted to say spend five grand on a watch mm-hmm. i shouldn't say average guy because that's still a lot of money but that's that's not, that's, not yeah. I, I, that's not what i meant but those watches you're talking about are like that's like really expensive it's like a car, yeah. yeah so what would you suggest i love vintage um and for, for that price point again you're getting a cool watch with a neat story yeah um, so you can so you buy a used watch you know i've actually i've never the only yeah i've never you gave fletcher now he's gotten two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a I, website. I, I, one of the things I'm good at, both in my job and outside of my job, is, is instilling passion in people. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I've cost it. I've cost him some money. But uh, the, his newest one is I like a lot. It's the so IWC, was, right? That was yes, yeah, IWC Portuguese, which was one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. that's one that sounds super cool. And too. that that hits around that that point you're talking. Yeah. About. Cool. All right. So uh, for every guest starting today. <laughs> so I'm starting a we're gonna do a little rapid fire i think i mean the goal was we were gonna do this but uh we we hadn't but we thought we should really implement things we're getting okay. better and better and we're doing more things as we go but so rapid fire questions um what is your favorite word respect respect damn good 
Um, this question, we're re rewording this question. Uh, what like what kind of lights lights you up? Lights your fire? Mm. What gets you going? Realizing change. The question was what turns you on, but that's okay. It's realizing change. Good, good Jeez, choice. Good man. choice. Uh, what's your favorite movie? Aladdin. Wow. Okay. The the uh, animated or the definitely the animated, but I, I do have to say the live action one phenomenal too. Uh, what was the last gift you gave somebody? Uh, slow cooker. Slow cooker. We, had, we had some new neighbors at our cabin, uh, so they got a slow cooker. But, I mean, I think that's a good gift for, it, you it know. Was it was an accident. Swarming It was an accident. I bought an extra one. On <laughs> and, uh, instead, <laughs> instead of driving it back His to His neighbor's Target, not going to watch this. <laughs> I think I told him. I'm pretty sure. I'm, pre I'm pretty honest. Yeah. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Watchmaking. Watchmaking. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's a good one. Damn, dude. I'd like to mean? just lay things on the table and then go home and have dinner. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right, man. Well, that wraps it up. Thanks a lot for coming. Again, this is The Real Talk with Ryan Madrid. Thank you to Trisha, my sister, and my nephew, Trey, that is on the, what's that thing called? Roadcaster. Um, and he's doing all the uh, background and production. And uh, thanks again to my sisters, who's done an amazing job with my social media. Most, Obviously, Ray, will you? Right? It's way better than it used to be. And, uh, and keeping the momentum going. So anyways, thanks again for having us. Thanks to VIP Mortgage. We're actually in the VIP Mortgage building in Scottsdale. Beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And it's an incredible building. And thanks to uh, Zunami, one of our sponsors, and Escrow is also one of our sponsors. And check out Accel. A-C-C-E-L dot O-R-G. And where else can we find you besides 35th Internet? Avenue in Peoria, Buckeye, uh, Eastern Province of Saudi Arabia. And what about social media or anything like that? Uh, yeah, we've got all of our Instagram, Facebook, all that good stuff. And it's just Excel. It's Excel. At Excel. A-C-C-E-L. Okay, cool. Well, thanks again. We have Ray Dom. Thanks again, buddy. Appreciate thanks, it. Man. Appreciate it. So if you're like me, you haven't been doing a great job with your social media, video, and marketing. I think we all know we should be doing this. Um, but it's not as easy as it looks. And, and sometimes you know, it's a little intimidating. So I found a an app called Zunami with an X. You can find it on any of the app stores. And what they do is you actually film the video on your phone and then you send it on over to them. And these are professionals that will edit it and they'll put a footer and a header and, and they'll even give you scripts if you if you need them. Um, so if it's an opportunity for you to make videos and have it look great, because like I said, these are professional people doing these for you. And they'll even teach you how to upload it to social media. And uh, it'll make you look good. And it'll get you past your hesitation of doing it on your own. So check it out. Zunami with an X.